I absolutely love my job. There is never a dull day. My work is stimulating in every way. So, you know, I'm nearly 30 years in the sector, you know, that huge energy and passion for what I'm doing and, and the company. Hopefully that's a wee bit infectious. The Uniformer. Insights and interviews into the people and companies that drive the markets for uniforms, image apparel, and public safety equipment. The Uniformer is a production of the Network Association of Uniform Manufacturers and Distributors, the NAUMD. Hello, welcome to The Uniformer. I'm Rick Levine, the Executive Director of the NAUMD, and I am so excited and thrilled to be sitting here today with Simon Hunter. Uh, we've known each other a few years here, and um, you're in for a treat. Simon, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Hey, lovely to be with you, Rick. Looking forward to chatting. Good. And so Simon is talking to us, uh, if the accent didn't already give him away, from uh, Northern Ireland. And uh, he is the CEO of Hunter Apparel Solutions. And so that is the name on the door, as the expression goes, right? Uh, so you're, you're CEO of this company with your, you know, your name on it, um, Simon. What does it mean to be CEO of of Hunter and and um, what do you actually then do throughout the year? What's what what do you consider your role? Well, we are quite a long established company, Rick. We were established in 1936 by my grandfather. Um, so I'm the third generation of the family to run the company. Uh, interestingly, uh, my oldest son Jude uh, joined the company in 2023. So there's now four generations of us in the company uh which is a bit unusual i guess um and it's it's lovely working with him and sort of seeing him you know coming on in the in the company as a as a young man you know because we have a a great relationship out, outside of work and it's it's uh really pleasurable working with him but yeah i mean so so there's a bit of a family legacy thing there which i guess i'm i'm conscious of or subconscious of let's say at least you know and i suppose I sort of see my job as sort of keep keeping this motor running and innovating and, you know, progressing. What do I do in a day-to-day? -day? You know, from an academic perspective, I, I for my sins studied accountancy, which was a horrible uh, thing to study, uh, uh, <laughs> but 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 a highly a highly useful thing to study, right? So, it, it, you know, every day I use some of the skills that I, I learned. Uh, I never wanted to be a chartered accountant, though. Uh, so once I graduated, I didn't follow through with the chartered. Uh, instead, uh, I went on a different route. I became a chartered director. So the Institute of Directors in the UK have a have a particular course for for that. So you know, specifically aimed at developing leaders in a professional way, so that you can effectively manage a company of of any size. Um, and uh, so that was my chartered exam. And again, I kind of I use all of the skills that I learned in that every day. I've I suppose what I do on a day to day basis, you know, really interested in the culture of the company and continuously developing, fostering a, a positive culture. You know, I, I I meet our talent and culture lead every day and discuss. You know, what can we do to improve, and you know, what do we need to be concerned about. How are we going to change, develop, do things better? My next meeting after this is to go through our 2023 annual 
staff engagement survey together, you know, and, and work out what our learnings are from that, you know, so I, I'm very, very focused on that. Um, did you, did you know your grandfather? Yeah. 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 And he died so when, he died when he was in his late nineties, he and my grandmother paternal side were the longest and oldest married couple in Ulster uh, before they died. No way. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a yeah. claim to fame. And so you grew <laughs> up seeing both dad and grandpa in this family business, right? And yeah. Yeah. Um, and did you know, besides, you know, um, going to accounting school and then ruling it out, did you know that you would come into the family business? <laughs> no, 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 quite the opposite. My dad always said, go and do something sensible with your life, son. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, become a lawyer or an accountant or something like that. And, and forget about this troublesome, troublesome and challenging sector. Yeah, so he, you know, he he really actively discouraged myself, my brother, and my sister uh, from coming in. Are you? Are any siblings involved? Yeah, all of us came in. All of uh, you came in. So yeah, it's almost no, like my, reverse my... psychology, Simon. It's almost like he was like, <laughs> "No, you don't. You guys don't want to do this." And then everyone's like, "Yeah, we do." <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But that was the that was the end result. My my sister didn't stay for awfully long. I have to say, she lives in England. Um, but but uh, yeah, my brother still works in the company, and uh, and my wife and my son, yeah. So we're we're you know that sort of culture has stood as well. I would say you know it's a true family business. It's a it's a family business. Yes, which is you know that's almost uh, I, I'm not using the word cliche in a negative sense. That's yeah. a that's a stereotype of the clothing business, right? We have so many. Yeah. I mean, it used to be. Lots of these uniform companies and their dealer distributors in North America, they were all these mm -hmm. you know, family businesses. And if you did, your succession plan was offspring. And if you didn't have it, then okay, fine. You maybe there's a trusted uh, yeah. lieutenant, but you, you know, you know, otherwise then, then you would sell. I mean, then in this day and age, it's so different, right? Oh, and yeah. speaking of the history, Simon, the NAUMD started Around the time uh, Hunter Apparel apparently started oh, really? in the 1930s, and it originally it was a, a very small group of manufacturers who brought their whole family on trips, yes. and they all went to the same place, so that yeah. way they could, you know, they could write the trip off as a business expense, and then they okay. get together and, you know, and and talk about, uh, you know, manufacturing uniforms. Nowadays, nobody brings their spouses to these shows, right? Uh, well, you do because she's in the <laughs> well, business, you, right? right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> it, it, she's integral to the business, though, so it's different. Yeah. But, but you know, it's it's interesting the way you know the way those times have changed, and I really, um, yeah. I think that is probably part of the magic of of what you know what you guys are doing is that there's this energy that comes from uh, having this trusted family unit. Right. I'm assuming you all trust each other. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah. But, you know, I mean, look, there, there, there's a nice there's a nice aspect to that without a doubt, you know, but equally important, you know, the business has professionalized, you know, uh, so much, you know, you know, the nice thing is, uh, you know, I can now say with huge pride of a fantastic 
management team and senior leadership team, you know, I can travel around the world and go and do the business stuff I need to do and let them crack on and they don't need me, you know. You know, we, we, we've, we've sort of got the best of both worlds in, in that sense, I would say, you know, there is something to be said for that sort of family culture and ethos. But, you know, with that kind of professionalized backdrop to, to you know, not necessarily needing me anymore in every single thing, right? You know, once upon a time, uh, the business probably was a bit like that. But, you know, those days are, are, are long since past, which is good, you know. So I think it's a nice balance. Yeah, that, that makes total sense, Do you, you know, that it's not, it, there may be family involved, but, you know, in this day and age, like you're saying, you you know, you're hiring smart people and then not telling them what to do all the time. They're, you know, <laughs> they're taking care of themselves and, and the jobs at hand. Um, one of the things that strikes me about, you know, and you, you serve a variety of markets and you can talk about, you know, the different markets you, you're in. But, you know, right now, Simon is sitting in uh, one of his showrooms and he's got law enforcement and fire protection and, you know, some corporate and some high vis and uh, in the background on um, what we affectionately call dummies. Right. The, the, the unique aspect, though. Uh, and I'm wondering if this has been throughout Simon uh, Hunter Apparel's history is that you both manufacture and distribute, right? That you're really not just um, one or the other. You really have been an integrated uh, solution. And I think you even use that word in your messaging, uh, this kind of integrated uh, solution. Can you talk about how how that um, balance between manufacturing and distribution is, you know, how your stakeholders, how do they feel about it? How do your customers feel about it? How does the team feel about it? Is it a positive? Is it a burden? How does that work? So, I mean, it was not always thus. When, when I came into the company, we were very much the manufacturer. My father was running the company at its peak. Uh, he had about 250 staff, the mostly operational factory staff, and four other factories in this city uh, of about the same size. So about a thousand workers all work into the company. Um, of course, nowadays, you know, most of that production's overseas. We still retain manufacturing here, though. Uh, much, much smaller manufacturing, it has to be said. But yeah, we were very much the manufacturing culture. You know, it was all about feeding the beast every week. You got to feed the factory. You got to keep it busy. And, you know, you're, you know, I, I was coming through... I mean, my prior career was uh, working in a technology company, um, you know, really high-end technology company, actually an American company called Seagate Technologies. I don't know if you know of them. The, I think they're number one or two in the world or something in read-write-head technology. Uh, we were very focused on, you know, getting enough orders every week to feed the factory and make sure it was always busy. You know, that was the kind of culture. That was the That was the sort of start and finish of the strategy, I would say. You know, I, I kind of thought, well, what if we could take some of the technology kind of learnings that I have and apply it to this sector? And this was like right at the start of when the Internet was in the civilian uh, sphere, uh, but businesses were only really starting to use it. And I um, decided that we would create a uh, like a concept, you know, of we'll be a one stop shop and we'll do it digitally. We would have been the first company in the UK to create a, a digital managed service, you know, and our, our word for that is Hunter Pack. So um, we created this system. Uh, I remember as a young man traveling about and saying to customers, you know, what if you could buy 
all of this stuff, everything you need from a uniform perspective from one company, they were going, oh, that will never work. You know, there's trouser specialists and shirt specialists and never the twins shall meet and blah, blah, blah. You know, anyway, it just made me determined to do it, you know, because, well, it wasn't really a thing. And it worked. And and that that became who we uh, were. Uh, So we were effectively manufacturing for ourselves rather than manufacturing and selling under someone else's brand, which was the, the, the sort of prior strategy, let's say. And it, and it, and it worked. And, 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 you know, we, we became a technology company effectively 20 something years ago. We've made multiple technology products since that are all designed in one way or another to add value to our contracting uh, with customers to, to add value for our customers in one way or another. So we, we made Hunter Park, which is the, the, the digital trading platform and reporting platform. We, we created a uh, Hunter Care, which is a, a track and trace duty of care platform aimed at PPE. So, you know, it's we don't just supply our firefighting suits, for example. Uh, we supply them and then we'll look after them for the entirety of uh, uh, their life, you know, eight years, 10 years, whatever it might be. Uh, tracking and tracing everything, you know, providing sort of specialist laundry facilities and inspection and repair and all that jazz all, all under one roof. And, uh, and of course, that's kind of then led us into a very technical area of, of decontamination. And uh, we, we've really started to focus and specialize in that area. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the blending of the manufacturing aspect and the distribution aspect of it has kind of even sort of gone gone well beyond that, you know, where it's uh, we'll look after your gear for the for the entirety of its useful life. You also repair on the law enforcement side, or is that not as prevalent then? Currently, not so much. Uh, much more on the fire side, but uh, we have a what we think is going to be a world bidding new product that we're going to launch this year. That will lend itself to sort of uh, a care and maintenance program. It'll lend itself to uh, replacements and and potentially repair and stuff. So, so, so what's that product? That product is called FlexGuard. Um, it's a blunt trauma armor system. Effectively, it's uh, the world's first fully hinged system. So, uh, right now, um, when you're looking at pops in a in a uh, public order situation. Their elbows and knees tend to not be protected, or they're protected in a way that's highly ineffective. I.e., it's it's a kind of a static protection and uh, not very flexible or mobile. So a lot of them just will ignore wearing it and then leave their knees and elbows exposed. And then, of course, that's that's where they get injured in such situations. So we wanted to develop something that was going to give complete protection. So whatever way you moved your elbows, whatever way you moved your knees, you were protected. And so we did that and the idea that we had and what has transpired is something that's massively lighter, uh, massively stronger and massively more flex, uh, flexible, uh, hence FlexGuard, such that, you know, we can accommodate a more diverse audience, let's say. So, you know, once upon a time, America, I guess, no different than than the UK, you know, Public order was a team of men, you know, bigger than average men, let's say. So the gear was designed around that. Pretty much it stayed that way for the last 30 years. So, you know, now, of course, you've got, you know, slim young females who are maybe 
you know, fabulous martial artists and want to have a career like that. And they're wearing men's gear. It doesn't fit. It doesn't protect them well. And I imagine it doesn't make them psychologically geared up very well for dangerous work. Uh, so, so our product will basically uh, flex and bend around, you know, all body shapes and so forth in a way that the, the typical products in the marketplace uh, uh, just don't and can't. And so, yeah, better protected, more flexible, you know, we think we've got a world-beating product here. I think I think it's going to be the first product that we can truly sell in a in a global way. Is it out already, or you're saying it's coming? It's behind me here. Uh, there's kind of a, a a really cool video on YouTube. Uh, if you look up flexguard.co.uk, uh, that sort of explains the explains the system. Let's say it's it's in it's in a queue for certification in the UK. So basically. March stroke April, it'll be certified, and and we, we as part of the process that we've had to go through to get it to the stage that it's at, um, the molds are created and so forth. So as soon as we get certification, we will be immediately into significant scale manufacture. The nature of the product is such that you can scale up immediately, if you know what I mean, because it's a molded product. So the amount of kind of uh, human labor in it is is not so very much and interestingly uh at least from my perspective interestingly you know the products right now they're all pretty much all chinese products these are going to be able to be made in northern ireland you know because of the fact that it's molded it's hugely automated and uh there's not so very much human labor in it so it, it allows us to be you know competitive making a really high quality made in uk product that we want to sell right around the world that is great. Congratulations. It sounds like a, an innovative product and, you know, something that um, Hunter can be proud to to bring to the market. Another product you've talked to me about and I know you're you're proud of is the and you alluded to it a little bit with the um the servicing of the firefighter uh uniforms, but I believe you call it deaconology. Is that a, is that the service? Is that is that a what is deaconology, Simon? You know, our 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 uh trajectory as i as i mentioned in terms of sort of manufacturer to manufacturer and distributor uh then moved on to creating what we call in the uk care and maintenance serve uh centers i think in america you call them isps independent service providers uh and basically these are specialist companies that tend to focus on the fire market i think and it's the same in the us and it's about providing a sort of a, a care package that last for the entirety cradle to grave for the piece of PPE. Um, and so we we developed really high-end water-based washing facilities, drying, inspection and repair facilities, all with a kind of a you know our own proprietary technology hunter care to to track and trace and and manage the duty of care aspects around around those items of PPE. You know, I, I loved what we did. We won a bunch of awards for it and uh you know, it, it it really was a best-in-class setup. But what started to happen, and, and, and this was an American thing, a North American thing, uh, the NFPA basically did research and, and discovered that, you know, when it comes to water-based washing, which is what everybody was doing, you know, everybody did it that way, the effect of this was not so much. And the NFPA data basically says water-based washing, it's about 15 to 40% decontaminating effect the, the reason for that essentially is you know whether you've got a three layer or a four layer piece of fire kit um 
you call it bunker gear. Uh, you say tomatoes, we say tomatoes. And it, it, it's got a it's got a waterproof breathable membrane in it. You know, an EPTFE membrane in it, and uh, you know that that wonderful thing is a you know uh, a great piece of technology. It's waterproof and it's breathable. That's highly useful. The problem is when you stick it in a water based laundry system, it's waterproof. So you know whatever cleansing effect you can mm. achieve with water. You know, and it doesn't matter what the temperature of the water is really, or the velocity of the water, or the volume of the water, or even detergents. You know, you can you can throw the best scenario at it; it's still waterproof, so it ain't getting in there. It's not decontaminating that layer. That layer is a complex filter layer, and uh, the contamination is trapped. Now, if it was trapped and fully inert in there, that that would be maybe fine, but. Depending on the set of circumstance, yeah, it it can it can start to uh, become volatile and gas off. You know, when someone's working and they're moving and there's heat around them and so forth. And of course, you know, firefighters in that scenario, they're they're hot and sweaty. Their pores are open, and the contamination basically, you know, enters the pores and enters the blood. And and there's no an absolute sort of evidence trail that says that that actually, bizarrely, the stuff that is meant to protect firefighters is also having a, a, a severely negative effect on their health. And in fact, you know, the, the landmark was, I mean, bear in mind, I've been kind of like obsessively working on this for 10 years and then really very, very intensely for six. Uh, in June 2022, the World Health Organization, through their subcommittee, the IARC, declared that firefighting was uh, carcinogenic at the, at the highest possible level of risk. And uh, further studies showed, there's studies in the UK, there's studies in the US, basically showed that the PPE is actually part of the problem because of the because of its ability to hold contamination and then release it. So yeah, we, we, we've, we've ended up with sort of a, you know, we knew we had to do something, we knew we had to do something better and different and and I spent a bunch of years then sort of researching the market and we nearly did a deal with a company and then we nearly did a deal with another company. And uh, I'm very pleased to say we ended up doing a, a deal with a North American company who manufactured an amazing machine for us. And it is a machine which uh, utilizes various proprietary technologies and uh, ultimately provides a liquid carbon dioxide solution. Uh, that whereas water-based washing, 15 to 40% decontaminating effect, the LCO2, it's a 99% plus decontaminating effect. I mean, it is absolutely world-beating technology. We got our machine just towards the back end of 2023. So, not, you know, the, the, this technology has uh, been around for a short while, but it's still evolving. So we have the most advanced, the most modern machine in the world right now. So is that the kind of thing that after every fire... This this really should be performed, or is it a you know a once a year thing? How do departments, fire departments, decide to to manage all of that? I've heard there are some departments that are behaving in that way, but I think that they're very rare. Possibly possible that that's a trajectory, but right now that's not what's happening. So I th I think there's a bunch of things happening. Uh, I mean, most of this is is North American stuff, but. You know where people are maybe saying, "Look, we'll 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 decontaminate twice a year, yeah, uh, or or we'll we'll decontaminate um, after every carbonaceous event or other significantly contaminating event." 
or or maybe some hybrid of that. And 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 I think you know some of those brigades may still be using water washing as well. I mean, personally, I think the future future for this is waterless. I I think uh, water is an old technology, effectively, and it will phase out. But but right now, you know, I think we're we're going to have a hybrid of clients: some who are only water washing, yeah, uh, some who are only LCO twoing through the technology system, and some that are doing a hybrid. You know, I think it's a journey. You know, I think it's a journey. It's a really interesting uh, piece of work. I'm absolutely fascinated by it you know and i've got a bunch of really really cool people around me that know lots about this in different ways the science and of it yeah yeah just such a buzz working with people like that and it's great it's it's important work and you know you can take pride that you know short of being among the team that actually jumps into the burning building <laughs> right yep. this is like the next best thing is is you know supporting them and making sure that they're safe and 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 all of that and and decontaminating so that they stay safe which which segues me to something i know about you uh which is that you like to decontaminate personally you've told me stories about jumping into freezing cold water right that that's a personal way you can uh decontaminate and it and it strikes me uh, from a larger thing, you can tell a story about that if you choose to, but from a bigger perspective, is that indicative of you as a leader in this industry of, of how do you approach, you talked a little bit about culture, you know, earlier uh, when we first got started, but I'm very curious to know about Simon as, as a leader, as a, you know, what, what does it mean to be a modern um, leader in this day and age with such a variety of stakeholders and um, you know, and now you've got, and you've got family in the business and you have a lot of employees and they're spread out. And now you're talking about selling globally. And so there's a lot of challenges to being an innovative leader in a fourth generation <laughs> company that, right. So I know I'm throwing a lot at you all at once, pick and choose whatever you want to reply to. Yeah. I mean, a couple of years ago i think it was 2019 and and it leaked into that covid period in 2020 i signed up for a course i hadn't I hadn't done a course of any sort for for a bit of time and i i kind of had an urge to learn some new stuff and uh i was hunting about for something that i thought would catch my attention and interest me actually a guy who i had done a, i mentioned at the start about the chartered director exam so so this guy, Brendan, who I met uh, on that course and who did it with me. And uh, I just remember thinking he's an amazing man. You know, he's really, really smart. He's going to have an amazing career. And so he did. He went on to take a company from about 3 million to 100 million and made them a, a world leader in what they did in pretty much every country in the world. Really incredible guy. And uh, he had, you know, recently retired at the grand old age of something like 43 or 44 or something. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he'd started up this new company um, called Skillex. Um, he's a Northern Irish guy like me. And uh, he, what he wanted to do was he had been on a lot of professional courses and done a lot of professional development. And he had sort of distilled it all together. And he was also a guy that was doing Ironman and all these kind of like endurance things and he was also a Wim Hof practitioner. If you're familiar with Wim Hof, he's a Dutch dude who's uh, commonly known on the internet as the Iceman. Brandon had sort of created this really unusual course. And I thought, 
okay, if it's him, and that sounds interesting, that that's the one for me, you know. So the the purpose of the course was essentially, you know, being a CEO is a lonely, difficult job often, and he wanted to to have a course that was not just academic and not just about some of the skill base that he had picked up in terms of his CEO learning. You know, he'd been to some really top class stuff in America. It'd be some really top class stuff in Switzerland and, and so forth. So taking all that academic learning um, and combining it with Wim Hof breathing exercises, getting used to, you know, hardship through cold water treatments and then ice baths and, yeah, a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm. Um, but it was just amazing. It was a, a really inspirational course. You know, I got to do it with a couple of really close friends who are also CEOs. That was very pleasant. And then a bunch of other really cool individuals that were in the room as well. And it it just it taught me so much, you know, and it I was just at the right age, I would say, and in my personal development to do it and really mm. benefit from it. And so so there's a whole legacy of things that I still do uh, that are learnings from that. You know, a uh, great little tool is a thing called the Monk Manual. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Uh, actually, there's also an American thing. It's a book. I bring I bring them in sort of 50 books at a time from, from America. Um, it's, it's a kind of a diary. It's a four-month diary, uh, but it's very structured. And it's a sort of a whole life diary. It's not just a work diary. Um, there's a sort of... A, place to create a sort of a high level annual plan for yourself there's there's then a monthly plan a weekly plan a daily plan it's it's just a it's just the most beautiful kind of structure to it it asks you on a daily weekly monthly basis really quite thought-provoking questions that you wouldn't necessarily ask yourself but i think from a, a sort of a well-rounded human being perspective they're, 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 they're great questions to force yourself to answer and I think if you engage with that little book in a really sincere way, it's just a just a wonderful tool. So, you know, I could go on and on and on. There was so many things, but that little tool, for example, is something I'm using every day. And you bring in 50 at a time. That means you are bringing it to your teams. You're also... Yeah, we give it to, 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 to the team. I like to give them uh, to clients when they visit or, you know, suppliers we really admire. Yeah. Just a nice little kind of gift for people to take something away. I've never, I've never given one to someone that they haven't come back and said, "I absolutely love that." You know, it's a really, it's a really unique little thing. Um, Tell me about the leadership, though, because that's a kind of an inward journey you're describing, yep. right? Uh, where you, as a CEO, were you know um, looking inward to improve, and then you've got these tools that you recommend to stakeholders and and teammates and. Uh, that that helps them look inward for improvement, and then what about inter, like uh, the teams all mixing together? What's the culture like? At when I started in in my role as CEO, um, I would say the culture was something that needed a lot of work. I think is is a is is the truth, and I probably spent an awful lot of time recrafting the organization in lots of different ways to get us into a better place in terms of culture. It was hard and long work, and I, I probably at the time didn't really have the skills or the knowledge to how to do that, so it took me too long. It's a never-ending job, and I think you know the hunter of today is is a nice place to work. I think the culture is really, really good, 
Um, I mentioned earlier that, you know, my next job is to sit down with our talent and culture lead and go through the 2023 annual survey of staff engagement. Now, I've already gone through it myself. The results are really, really good, like really, really good. And, and, and you know, from an employer's perspective, it's so nice to hear. Okay. Mm. It's not to say we get everything right. Of course not, you know, uh, but it's, you know, the results are, they would please any CEO. And, and you know, that is, I think, uh, the result of a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of very deliberate things. Um, you know, something that jumps to mind is our talent and culture lead has this phrase she uses repeatedly, you know, the team that plays together stays together. And, you know, we work hard. But we do quite a good job of partying hard together as well. So, you know, we will we will go out socially together a lot as departments and teams and subcommittees and and, and the wider company. We we do a lot of socializing actually. And uh, you know, it just fosters a different kind of feeling and environment, a more team thing. You know, you just get to know each other differently, let's say. And uh I think the culture we have now, you know, it it the amount of discretionary effort that I see on a daily basis, you know, sometimes I arrive at the factory gates at, you know, 6.40 a.m. and the lights are on and there's cars in the car park and I wasn't I wasn't first in. You know, I can't tell you how much I love that, you know, uh, you know, that people feel motivated enough themselves to, you know, of their own volition do that. You know, sometimes I'm sort of looking to go home you know it's maybe 7 30 in the evening it's been a long day and i'm having to chase people away from their desk to get them to go <laughs> home so i can get the alarm on um you know it, it, it that kind of dedication and hard work ethos is is just lovely right you know it, it but it, it comes from something it doesn't magic itself up you know and uh you know, we're 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 a company that definitely focuses on culture and focuses on values reinforcement. And you know, there's a bunch of stuff we do. You know, every member of staff with five values in the company. Every member of staff every calendar year gets five vouchers to award values aligned behaviors in the company. So you know, there's sixty something of us. So you know, there's more more than three hundred reinforcements of. Uh, values aligned behaviors that get rewarded publicly. We have a sort of a monthly communication piece where I do a town hall or or me and some of the SLT do a town hall and uh, and then we we publicly reward people specifically based on values. So things like that, I think, you know, reinforce and make make the culture of values more than some kind of poster stuck on a wall, you know? No, I love that because you went, now you've gone... I want to work there. Um, you've gone from this, you know, hey, we work on introspection, we work on self-improvement, you know, from the inside, but now you just went all the way the other direction, Simon, and you're talking about these town halls where you have a very public setting and you're recognizing people and not just saying they made their numbers, right? They, you know, they turned out uh, more flex guard knee widgets than... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I have, to be honest, I have to be honest. We never talk about the numbers in the public hall and the and the town hall things. You know, we probably should, but we don't. We're it's a we get more into you know all of that, but also you know what's important in the business, what's coming up, what we think is important for our customers, and all that stuff. So that yeah, you know, uh, we've got a 
thing called the vivid vision for 2025 and um you know it's reminding people about that and updating about that and you know uh i think it works and i think it's an important part of our culture our culture setting and trying to be as open as possible from a communication perspective because i do remember when we started doing our staff engagement surveys one of the things that came across to me was actually the hunger for more communication was very very strong and I kind of felt, well, look, I, I'm kind of doing quite a lot of communication. Surely they don't want to hear more from me, but actually they did. And and uh, and so we started communicating in different ways and so forth. And then and then I wanted to get it away from me communicating so that, you know, other staff are communicating. So, again, the talent and culture lead, she will put out Wellbeing Wednesdays. And uh, I work with another colleague uh, on Good News Fridays, and and you know, so there's a bunch of different types of communication that I think help with all that and help help us keep reinforcing the culture and, and values. So it's constant, constant, constant. I love that. I love that without being annoying, right? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so you know, I like to end uh, these sessions, Simon, and and we've already had some previews though, right? I like to end by asking if you'd recommend our industry to to young people, to family, to friends, to the children of friends. But it's your perspective is a little more interesting, A, because you're already working with family in it. So, but B, based on what your father said, it's almost like, do we want to tell people don't go into this industry and then we'll encourage more people to join us? I don't know. What are your thoughts about recommending the uh, professional apparel um, industry to, to recent graduates, let's say, or young people? Well, Rick, you know, I absolutely love my job. You know, I absolutely love my job. There is never a dull day. Uh, there can be hard days occasionally, of course, but my work is stimulating in every way. So I've had a great career, very fortunate. You know, I hope that anybody that works closely with me, you know, can see my still you know i'm nearly 30 years in the sector you know that I have huge energy and passion for what i'm doing and, and the company hopefully that's a wee bit infectious hopefully uh i think it is i said before you know i'm lucky i've got a great senior leadership team now you know really really strong capable team um you know we've moved beyond it being just a family team now it's mostly not a family team and it's a bigger team and and so you know i you know it it, it would be sort of strange for me to say anything other than yes absolutely it's an amazing <laughs> sector i mean you could you can get the, the, this sector offers absolutely everything this is the thing you know whether you're a creative you know i'm a yellow blue brain if you've ever done that index thing you know yellow blue red green so you know i'm a yellow kind of vision creative person but also with enough blue to make sure i get stuff done you know and, you know, whether you're a creative person or you're a data person, a technology person, an innovation person, if you're in a global travel, you know, it's a really, it's a very global organized uh, industry uh, nowadays, of course. There's almost nothing that it doesn't offer, you know, there's careers in every kind of thing you can imagine, right? Yeah, agreed. And 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 for a company like um, Hunter Apparel Solutions, you're also you know, you're quite literally saving lives, right? It's, it's, I mean, it's important work. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's helping our first responders, you know, deal with the realities of what's thrown at them literally and figuratively. Yeah. I mean, we made up our mind quite a, quite a long time ago, you know, uh, 
to think about who we wanted to be and what we wanted to be and and decided fundamentally that we wanted to be a company and and people who worked in a company that that made a societal contribution rather than just a profit motive you know and so we worked hard at refining our purpose you know and uh you know our our purpose is is totally oriented towards key frontline workers and and purposeful work and feeling purposeful in a company again i think it brings a certain type of culture yeah i think it brings more discretionary effort and uh a different kind of feeling um we certainly saw that in 2020 you know when the world was turned upside down we moved lightning fast to mobilize and uh you know we ended up being a government contractor for covid ppe we we ended up we got the gig to supply the entire uk fire service with all of their disposable covid stuff and then that was quite successful so we've got a bunch of police work and nhs work and stuff with with that you know but you know is it, it was at a time when people were afraid to come into work and uh yeah. you know i remember sort of at, at the first town hall that i did at that time was i said to them look my job's to keep you safe but if i keep you safe i want you in work physically at work we're not doing any of this furlough stuff it's not for us we need to be here to to fulfill our purpose we need to be here doing our thing together as teams you know providing the protection that we do for the frontline key workers and we just had to do it it was an amazing period of time but yeah it it, it really showed that you know our purpose was understood amongst the wider staff so it felt good excellent well, Simon, it was such a pleasure to talk it all over with you today. You're very passionate about the industry and your company and your team, and uh, it really shines through. I appreciate your time so much. Rick, always a pleasure. Look forward to having a beer with you sometime soon. Hopefully I might get to America this, this year. Uh, if I do, I'd love to meet up.